This is Geeks and Jacks. Welcome back to Geeks and Jacks episode 178 recording. January 19th, 2024. This is Ryan Sullivan. Glad to have you here. Before getting into this episode, this podcast is on podcasters.spotify.com. You can also find this on Radio Public and Google Podcasts. So head on down to those places. Search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. So, as usual, the typical talkings of what is faring in the movie theaters. Talking, talking the Emmys a little bit. The NFL wildcard round, which was super disappointing, by the way, and a few other sports-related stuff, along with uh, featuring GTA 5 being removed within the next month, and maybe one or two other gaming things here for this episode. So, let's head on down to good old box office mojo. Last weekend wasn't anything surprising, to say the least. The top ten seems about pretty fair, I would say. So, beginning with number one, it was Mean Girls, which doesn't surprise me. Number one and two, I figure was going to be what I thought knew the newcomers of them all. Uh, Mean Girls with twenty eight point six over. Over the weekend last week, and it made another 4.9 mil on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, so it made about 30 million within four days. The numbers as of the 17th: 37.1 domestic and 5.5 internationally, so 42 million overall. Uh, the fact that it did as well as it did surprises me. I guess there might be a lot more love for this film than, than I expected. But it's also a weird one considering the the movie was written by Tina Fey who wrote the original version. Shoot, even Lorne Michaels produced this film. But I think he produced the original version too. I'm surprised that guy's still alive. But see how it fares over the next couple weeks and see if it even reaches the 80 plus million of of the original. Number two, The Beekeeper, 16.5 million over the weekend, with an additional 2.1 on Monday. So about 18 plus million. Pretty even right now, 21.6 domestic and 21.1 internationally. Uh, saw this in the theater not too long ago. Pretty good. I'll definitely say my thoughts on it at the end of the year into 2024, uh, 2025, excuse me. Definitely have some trailers to talk about or talk about some movies that 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 are coming out pretty soon. Number three, Wonka. 8.4 million with an additional 4 million not 4, not 4 million, I'm sorry. With an additional 2.6 million, so it made about 10 plus million over four days. Warner has got to be pretty happy about it because 
180.2 domestic, 330.8 internationally, 511 million worldwide. This has got to be keeping Warner Brothers very happy. Seriously, I mean, for this to make half a billion? Unbelievable. Seriously. Number four, anyone but you, 7.1 million over the weekend, and another 1.3 on Martin Luther King Day. Sitting at 58.2 domestic and 23 internationally for 81. The fact this movie is still faring well, I mean, it didn't lose many theaters this this whole week. Lost about 120, which is crazy. I mean, I'm not saying this is probably one of those revolutionary films or anything, but for this to be probably the only romantic film for the time being, that's probably part of why it's faring, I think, better than what I would have expected. I thought this movie was going to fail. Number five, Migration, 6.2 million over three days, and an additional 2.3 this past Monday. 89 domestic, 87.7 internationally, 176.8. I can't say if Universal was impressed with this or disappointed, but at least it's made some sort of money. I would think. If it didn't, then you could chop, chalk it up as being kind of a flop. But not a major flop, so... It probably just doesn't have the same type of interest compared to some of the other films of Illumination. Number six. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. 5.2 over the weekend and an additional 1.1 for for four for the four day weekend, hundred ten point two domestic two sixty eight point four, nearing three hundred eighty million. Whatever they can do to keep the bleeding from being more severe. So, number seven, Night Swim. I'm surprised the numbers for that movie. It's how do you how do you put it in the words? Basically, I figured with this being, you know, your usual horror movie type flair that this would do a little more, but it's not. Four point six and an additional eight hundred fifty five thousand. 20.7 domestic, 10.8 internationally. While I'm sure the budget is cheap, I would think Universal can't be impressed. Probably probably you look at the last month or so, it's been kind of disappointing for them. The Boys in the Boat at number 8, 3.4 over the weekend. With an additional 786,000. 
40.9 domestic and 1.1 internationally for 42 million. Not sure I would call this a hit, even for George Clooney. Number nine, The Book of Clarence, 2.5 million with an additional 448,000 on Monday. Don't know what the numbers are for that as a whole, but not sure this is the type of stuff that that Sony was anticipating. <sighs> that's the only other that's the only other movie that was new to make the to make the top 10. Actually, I'll take a look at it just for a brief moment. I want to make sure the reviews. I want to look at reviews just to see if how it's faring. But the book, the book of Clarence, not faring, not faring all that great. It's mixed for the most part. A little more positive on on Rotten Tomatoes, but <sighs> and number ten, the Iron Claw, two point four million over the weekend, with an additional six hundred seven thousand, and that's actually the last number they have for that. So I don't know if that means the movie's done in theaters or what, but whatever the reason, twenty nine point four million overall. Um, I'd imagine this is probably the type of film that will be out there award season. I don't know. So as far as what's coming out. There is some stuff, but just give me a second on this. This thing is being slow. But to be honest, I haven't really haven't seen anything major as far as like advertising for specific movies and other things. All right. So, they're actually re-releasing, <laughs> re-releasing uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse for for a limited amount of theaters. <laughs> so, what else we got here? We got Origin, which is getting a wide release. Other wide releases include ISS and Founder's Day. Limited releases include One from the Heart, The Hunted, which brings me to you, Inside the Yellow Cocoon Shell, Time Still Turns the Pages, Pasang in the Shadow of Everest, The Breaking Ice, and One from the Heart Reprise. Other stuff to coming out over the next course of the week, UFC 297, Giselle, Giselle Ballet and Cinema, 
AXCN Cowboy Bebop, the movie, which is a re-release. New Blue Sun, Listening, A Case for Love. (laughs) I I gotta look at this because it's got an interesting couple names here. Sam Waterston, who I think was, what, McCoy on Law & Order. Al Roker's in it. I gotta look for a second. I'm sorry, I gotta I gotta look. A case for love. They say it's a documentary. Teachings of and writings of Bishop Michael Curry. It's known for his passionate sermon about the power of love. Okay, this is be curious to see if this is produced because it involved a guy that was did a sermon at the wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Yeah. I'm not sure how I'd feel about it. Applied in the wire. Okay, it's a study of the guy. Other limited stuff. Not sure if true or not, but Dune. Getting a re-release. That's probably in line with the sequel coming out this spring. Definitely, definitely interesting week for the most part. Got about, let's see, one, two, two wide releases next week. I don't know, I feel like I feel like Beekeeper and Mean Girls are going to probably lead the box office again. Not sure how people will feel about the ISS film. Or Origin for the most part. Yeah. Don't know what to tell. (laughs) Now, with it being award season, the Emmys were, were out. And... From what I understand, it was pretty well regarded. It was safe, but it seemed like it seemed like people were were entertained for for the most part. You know, a lot of stuff involving like certain actors, certain awards, things like Succession. Basically, won like six. There was this um, FX show, The Bear, which won awards. I gotta see. I gotta see what the rate. I gotta see what the show. I think it's like a restaurant show, kind of like the menu. Oof. Well, there's your answer. Four point three million, and people liked. Anthony Anderson, you know, as the host, did was himself. He even had his mother on there a little bit too. Some heartfelt stuff for certain shows, certain actors and actresses. Yeah, but probably, yeah, probably the biggest problem is you have it competing with football, and that is actually one thing I'll talk about now is streaming. 
streaming has made big dividends for Saturday last week with the Chiefs and the Dolphins getting 23 million in streaming. That's not that's not small potatoes. That is huge. Ultra huge. Which brings the question into whether or not streaming is the future. And I have no doubt in my mind the NFL is going to try whatever they can to make sure that they'll will they will find the biggest audiences. Now twenty three million. The Christmas Day games Two of them were $29 million, One was $27 million, I believe. The numbers for those games compared to compared to the streaming game that's got to be what? 20%? Maybe a little maybe a little lower, maybe a little higher. About a fifth of it for the most part. They didn't lose much. But I think it opens up a can of worms in regards to whether people are going to subscribe to them. Because the numbers could be a little more inflated because you got a lot of these idiot Taylor Swift fans that probably want to go gaga over Travis Kelsey or see the cameras try to get a glimpse of Swift every chance they get. Almost like a groupie in a way over at Woodstock. Anyway, this could open the door to not just the sports realm requiring streaming, but also the fact that probably one day down the road, we're going to be watching everything via streaming. The days of analog have been long gone for years. Digital has gotten bigger and bigger. The cable world continues to be more fractured as time goes on. It's inevitable when we start watching everything via platform. And unfortunately, probably streaming is going to cost just as much, if not worse, than paying for cable. That's what I think is ultimately going to happen. Yeah, it's funny thinking back to the days of when You didn't have to worry about hundreds upon hundreds of channels. You had dozens. You didn't have to worry about all these premium channels trying to create TV shows. Especially with the fact that, you know, these premium channels, it wasn't like everybody was competing with HBO. And, you know, talking about stuff like The Sopranos last week, talking about the show being such a big deal back in 99 in this period where HBO had all these hit shows. Speaking of which, I mean, HBO Max or whatever, they're going to have the final season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which about 10, 11 seasons over a 24-year period. Actually, I'll take a look for a brief moment. Curb 
Turns 25 next year in October. So the final episodes begin in February. I just want to see if... um, Okay, is it HBO or is it HBO Max or Max Plus, whatever? Max, I think. Both, Both of them. That's actually pretty surprising. But yeah, it's interesting because it was a different type of comedy that you typically saw. And yeah, it differed greatly because, you know, Larry David doing improv on the spot and just showing, like, the arrogance of 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 a prick. Imagine George Costanza times a thousand. That's that's basically curb your enthusiasm. <laughs> but to to get back to the original point, you weren't seeing other companies go to this high a level. And I would say your biggest period of cable was probably, I'd say, like, 02, 03 through maybe 16, 17. Especially with the stuff that HBO was trying to do, AMC, and some of these other channels. And you could argue maybe some of these other other channels, you know, they were still bringing in decent numbers for the most part. Like, you see certain things. I'd be curious to see what the ratings are like for um, A&E. Because one of their bigger things recently... Alright. A&E with uh, the whole Gypsy Rose thing. Curious to see how big of a ratings that is. For the most part, because it's a fascinating story of someone who was abused a lot, conspired to kill her mother, went to jail, and recently got put away. Well, recently got released from jail, and now is kind of a celebrity amongst like social media. Which I'm not sure I'd be envious of that stuff because I think on the one hand, I think people want to see abuse be gone. And I'm sure everyone else would want to see that too. But at the same time, she conspired. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully she don't. What's the right word? Hopefully this lady doesn't take advantage of the popularity and overuse it. But I but I think she's going to have a tough life adjusting to the way things are today. Moving on to sports. Definitely was a super disappointing wild card weekend. Super disappointing. I think all the teams I picked made it into the next round. As crazy as that sounds. 
So jumping to the very first game, Cleveland and Houston. If there's ever a case for D'Amico Ryans to be coach of the year, this would have been a chance to, to showcase that. 45-14 to beating up on Cleveland. Joe Flacco, 307, one touchdown, two picks. Kareem Hunt, 26 yards and a score. David Njoku leading and receiving with 93 yards. The touchdown was to Kareem Hunt. Texans, C.J. Stroud, 274, three touchdowns, no picks, 16 for 21. Devin Singletary, 66 yards and a score. Nico Collins led the receiving with 96 and a score. Brevin Jordan had a touchdown. Dalton Schultz had a touchdown. There were a couple pick sixes in the game. Houston played a clean game. They didn't get sacked. Didn't punt much either. Very low amount of penalties on both sides. Houston's back. I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with for years to come. No joke. Then we get to the streaming game. Kansas City. Probably one of the, probably two of the more overrated teams in football. But the Chiefs got him when they needed to. Won 26-7 in blistering cold temperatures. Tua Tungvaola. 199, one score, one pick. Raheem Mostert, 33 yards rushing. Tyreek Hill, 62 and a score. Pat Mahomes, 262, one score, no picks. Isaiah Pacheco, 89 yards and a score. Rasheed Rice, 130 and a score. Pretty much field goals. I mean, this game was pretty close. With it being 19 to seven in the th- at the end of the third quarter, so give Miami credit for not giving up as many touchdowns because if they did, it would have been 42 to seven. Fumble by the Chiefs, picked by the Dolphins. Chiefs did pretty good with pass protection. Those two. Those Chiefs will be facing the Texans. Not the Texans, my bad. Buffalo. Which I'll talk about that in a second. Houston's going to Baltimore. Green Bay. Annihilation is probably the best word to describe all this. 48 to 32. The score might seem closer than you think, but it was 48 to 16 halfway or roughly almost halfway through the fourth quarter. Jordan Love, 272, three touchdowns, no picks. Aaron Jones, 118, three touchdowns. Romeo Dobbs, 151, one touchdown. Luke Musgrave, a touchdown. Notavian Wicks, a touchdown. Dak Prescott, 403 yards, three touchdowns, two picks. Tony Pollard, 56 yards and a score. CeeDee Lamb, 110 yards. Jake Ferguson had three touchdowns. 
clean game by Green Bay. Their pass protection was phenomenal. Only three punts in the game for them. As well as Dallas not doing well on fourth down. And, yeah. There'll definitely be a lot of questions into whether or not Dallas will succeed with Mike McCarthy. And they're actually allowing him to play out the last of his contract. Which, if they don't advance or one or done they will probably get rid of McCarthy. I can't imagine them holding on to him for that much longer. Now you want to talk some celebration. First time in 32 years, the Detroit Lions won a playoff game 24-23 against the LA Rams. Big deal because it was Matthew Stafford's return to Detroit after spending 12 seasons with the team. A lot of people cheered him on. And there was actually something funny I saw regarding his wife talking about the fans booing and all that. I think she understood that, but the thing that drew a line to her was the fact that her and Stafford's four daughters were getting booed at, which is... That's that that that's pretty bad. That's that's the equivalency of taking candy from a baby. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just thinking of something from a movie involving stealing candy from a baby. Sorry. But Stafford had a pretty good game. Three sixty seven, two touchdowns, no picks. Kyron Williams, sixty one yards, which is pretty disappointing. You figured they could have given him more carries. Puka Nakua, 181 in a score. He broke the rookie postseason record for yards in a playoff game as a rookie. In one game, uh, DK Metcalf had that in not too long ago, a few years ago. And Tutu Atwell had the other touchdown. Jared Goff, 277, one score, no picks. David Montgomery, 57 in a score. Jameer Gibbs had a touchdown as well. Amon Ross St. Brown, 110, leading the team. And Sam Laporta, a touchdown. I'm surprised he even played. I'm surprised. Clean game on both sides. Uh, combined five sacks and five punts. Two, two both for uh, L.A., three both for Detroit. Both teams... Oh, man. Okay. I got to tell you the stats between all this. You will find it hard to believe. Now, in terms of yardage, L.A. fared better. They did better. But 22 first downs versus 23 Detroit. Both teams were 3-for-9 on third down. Fourth down was 1-for-1 each. 55 total plays on both sides. Two sacks and two punts for L.A., three sacks and three punts for Detroit. Four penalties for L.A., five for Detroit, 36 L.A. and 34 Detroit in terms of yards. Clean games, and both of them had the ball pretty evenly, just a five-second difference between it with with Detroit being 29-55 and 30-05 for L.A. That is crazy. That it just it didn't dawn on me until a minute ago. That is unbelievable. The game that got pushed back 
because of bad weather. And trust me, when you see bad weather up in Buffalo, you best be hunkering in your shelter. But even with all that, Buffalo with a big win over Pittsburgh. 31-17. to Mason Rudolph, 229, two scores and a pick. Jalen Warren, 38 yards rushing. Pat Fryermuth, 76 yards. Deontay Johnson had a touchdown, as did Calvin Austin. At least that's his name. Yep, Calvin Austin. Josh Allen, 203. Three touchdowns, no picks. James Cook ran for 79, but Allen had a rushing touchdown to his name. Dalton Kincaid, 59 yards and a score. Khalil Shakir, touchdown. Dawson Knox had a touchdown as well. Clean game by Buffalo. Fumble also for the Steelers. There's a lot of questions as to whether or not Tomlin stays or not, but I'd imagine you're going to keep the guy. Unless this team royally screws up This team, I think, is going to stick with a guy. Why why replace someone if you don't have a good replacement? And then we move to the last game. Actually, before I get to that, the Bills, that game was pretty close. Buffalo-Pittsburgh, just the score was in the fourth quarter with their to make it 31. You want to talk embarrassing. Tampa Bay rolling over on Philadelphia 32-9, a demoralized Philadelphia team. Jalen Hurts, 250, one score and a pick. Not pick, no picks, sorry. DeAndre Swift, 34 yards. Devontae Smith, probably the best player of that game, 148 yards. Dallas Goddard had the touchdown. Baker Mayfield, 337, three touchdowns, no picks. Rashad White, 72 yards. Cade Otten, 89 yards. David Moore had a touchdown. Trey Palmer had a touchdown. Chris Godwin had a touchdown. Quiet game for Mike Evans and Godwin outside of the score. But otherwise, Philadelphia all the way. Clean game on both sides. Pretty fair in terms of sacks and punts, penalties, although a little more in yardage to Philadelphia. 0 for 9 on third down was Philadelphia, and 0 and 2 on fourth down. They took points off the board a couple times. They went for it at one point. I think it was like second quarter. They didn't get their two point conversion. They took points off the board from a field goal because they figured they'd try to go for it on fourth and five. If you want ever a huge collapse of a team, this is probably going to be it. Some may argue the 94 Eagles under Rich Cote, the first year under Jeff Lurie. That team started 7-2 and two and were, were out of the playoffs 7-9 and nine to end the year. There's a lot of questions as to whether or not Nick Sirianni will be coaching again. I'd imagine they give him one more chance unless they think his plans for this upcoming season are just straight-up crap. But I can't imagine Philadelphia giving up on him that quickly. 
there were definitely a lot of issues. The play calling, obviously, the defensive coordinator change, the injuries as they mounted, especially considering that they didn't have A.J. Brown, Reed Blankenship, and Sidney Brown, both all three injured in the season finale. There's a lot of questions as to whether or not Jason Kelsey might retire or not. Who knows? With New England, just to briefly talk about that for a second, they have their first ever black coach in the form of Gerard Mayo. The guy played pretty well early on in his career, and injuries plagued the second half of it. To have him as the linebacker coach for five years, to give him a chance within the organization to give it a go, I'm surprised a little bit that they didn't try getting Mike Vrabel, considering the success he's had in Tennessee. But if they think Mayo is the answer, uh, this is probably going to be one of those things I think the fans have to be a little patient. Give this guy two years at the minimum, three at the max, or four. There's questions on where Bill Belichick might go. There might be questions on whether he goes to Atlanta, Washington, Washington just hired a, a new GM. I think his name is Adam Peters. He was like an assistant to, I believe, John Lynch in San Francisco. Adam Peters. I think. Yeah, Adam Peters, 49ers. Assistant general manager for three years. And going to Washington. Be curious to see if Belichick goes to Washington. There were questions on whether or not he would have gone to Dallas. But I think one of the bigger problems is how much power are you willing to give Bill Belichick? The LA Chargers are looking at Jim Harbaugh potentially. But the question is, will he take an offer or will he stay at Michigan? He just won a national championship. Obviously, his name has got to be at at the top or near the top of the list for people that want to see him coach in the NFL again. He he did pretty well his first three seasons, and then the fourth year, I don't know if there was like turmoil between him and the front office of San Francisco. Uh, the play calling, obviously. I think people got used to knowing what type of plays they were going to do under Colin Kaepernick. And the defense, obviously, was aging no Navarro Bowman, which he had like a really bad injury in the playoffs in 2013. Patrick Willis still playing at a good level, but you know retired early. He actually retired the year after Harbaugh left, got fired. Still a lot of coaching opportunities for a lot of guys. Still a lot. Still a lot. Let's see if there's anything else in particular. There's not really anything to really be talking about for the most part. I mean, basketball is what it is. 
I'm surprised the Minnesota Timberwolves are still top of the heap for the Western Conference. And if you actually get a look at it, it's surprising. Minnesota, 30-11 and 11 to be to play so far halfway through the season. Oklahoma, 28-13, and 13, and Denver half a game behind them with 14 losses. The L.A. Clippers, if they can stay healthy, they can be a force in the playoffs. The Pelicans, 25-17. and 17. Dallas, 24-18. and 23-18 is Sacramento. They're actually playing better than I think people expected. Phoenix, 22-18. and 18. 22 and 21, Utah, Jazz, uh, game and a half behind the Lakers, 21-21. Houston, 19 and 21. Compared to where they were the last couple of years, this is this is better. The Warriors, 18 and 22. Memphis, 15-26. That team's struggling, and the Jay Morant shoulder injury. Probably going to keep them from being anywhere close to competitive. Portland, 11-29. And the only team in that conference without 10 wins is San Antonio, 7-33. and Ouch. Boston in the Eastern Conference, leading the way, 32-9. Milwaukee, 28-13. Philadelphia, 26-13. The Cavs, 24-15. The Knicks, 25-17, Miami Heat, and Indiana. The Heat have six over the seventh Indiana. Orlando, 22-19. The Bulls, 20-23. The Atlanta Hawks, 17-23. The Nets, 16-24, pretty disappointing. The Raptors, 16-26. Charlotte, 8-30. Wizards, 7-33. And Detroit Pistons, four and thirty-seven. One of the bigger things going on a little bit is some of the trades, and Indiana just made a big trade recently for this Siakim guy. And there's definitely some questions on whether Zach Levine gets traded from Chicago to somewhere else. Now. When you think about what you have for television, every network, or should I say every channel, or should I say every team, no matter your channel, you're going to get some local coverage. Now, not every team has the luxury of having their own network like say like say the Yankees with their yes network there is Diamond Sports which has been in the news last year for being bankrupt and one of their big investments now is Amazon Bally Sports or Diamond Sports they cover I think like half the NBA and the in the MLB and NHL. There are because they don't have the luxury of having like an NBC Sports or their own channel to watch their own teams. 
So 18 networks under the Bally Sports banner. This is from AP News. 37 professional teams. 11 baseball, so just over a third. 15 NBA, that's roughly half. And 11 NHL, which kind of a third in a way, but, but not. They've been in Chapter 11 bankruptcy proceedings in the Southern District of Texas since a file for protection last March. In a late 2021 financial filing, it had a debt of $8.6 billion. Well, I think I can wager why. Because people aren't watching this stuff. Let's be real with, with the sports for a minute. It's hard to be a fan of hockey. It it, it really is. It's hard to be a fan of hockey. It's not exactly the most popular sport on the planet. And I would argue ESPN, TBS, and TNT putting on games does a lot more for the league than it does having it on, on Diamond and Bally and all that. Unless you're one of those channels like MSG, for example... That can cover the Rangers, the Devils, the Islanders, and the Sabres. You don't have that type of luxury. And the same can probably be said for the NBA to a point in in baseball. I'm not sure there's any real way to stop bleeding of baseball. I wonder if there's been any turnoff of the basketball in lieu of what's happened in recent years with politics and all that. But, man, that's a tough, tough pill to swallow. It was announced on on Wednesday. They've been negotiating deals of all the leagues, which would have been completed by the end of the up of the coming. They received the documents for NBA and NHL. They're reviewing them and revising. Major League was more pointed in its evaluation. When we get to that point, they want us to make sure everything's front and center for now. MLB took over for production distribution of the Padres and Diamondbacks after Diamond lit rights payments to the Padres lapse and was unable to agree to an amended deal under the terms, make a minority investment, $115 million, and enter in a commercial arrangement to provide access via Prime Video. Able to act, customers will be able to access their local team's content on Prime Video channels. The question is the pricing. Regional sports content will also remain available on cable and satellite providers. Amazon already carries. Yeah. Uh, That's the thing I hate. I hate the fact that the Yankees have a few of those games. Seriously. That's the one thing I truly hate. Because it's, it's disappointing having to not deal with having the streaming and all that at times. It, it's just 
it pisses me off a bit because it's like, what if I wanted to watch the Yankees at 1 o'clock in the afternoon? Oop, I can't because I have to get Amazon. There is such thing as greediness, and I imagine the greediness is what's going to kill some of these sports networks. Seriously. Save that for another day. The only... There are a couple things with gaming that... Nothing really to get too flustered over, but... Essentially, one is Rockstar Games removing their Rockstar editor out of GTA uh, 5 for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. It's a feature that's been around for 8 plus years, and they're going to shut it down at the end of February. Now the question will be, what do you do with the content? Save what you can, save it on your social club, because everything gets deleted after that. It's a little disappointing, but but at the same time, it's kind of rudimentary in terms of a filmmaking standpoint with the type of clips you want to do online. It's it's, it's sad to see, but... Yeah. Can't really comment too much else on it, because what is there really to, to discuss? And one of the things that I think just came out is, I think, The Last of Us Part 2. I'm going to look at that for a second. PS5. Oops. The Last of Us Part 2. Yeah, I think this literally just came out. Just taking a look for a for a brief moment. This came out in this came out in June of 2020. Yeah, I'm just gonna say if it, I got luck. The Last of Us Part Two. Where the hell is it? There's a new mode called No Return. Okay, came out today. Came out today. So, I think this is just... There's no need to remaster the damn game. There's just no reason to. The game... The game is what, three and a half years old? There's no reason in the world to want to do a remaster. Now, if you wanted to do, like, a thing where... Alright, for example, there were certain games that came out in the mid-90s that were on the Genesis and Super NES and later got versions for the Saturn, PlayStation, or Nintendo 64. Additional stuff, better performance, things of that nature, maybe a few few releases. But they didn't call themselves remasters or anything like that. I don't know even I don't even get why they call them remasters. They're 
still the same games. I think it's just Naughty Dog not understanding the term remastered. Now, something like Crash Bandicoot, yeah, that's a remaster. That is a huge remaster. Because it retained the gameplay of the PS1 originals, but remastered everything. The graphics, the audio, the controls to a point, everything. I just don't see the point in having it. At least not yet. Now, if this was, say, at the end of the decade, like 2028, 2029, sure, go ahead. I wouldn't agree with it, but it would make sense. I wonder if this has anything to do with the fact that they're going to start production on on the newest season, which comes out next year for HBO, HBO Max, whatever it's called. I mean, they have... I mean, they just casted their their Abby in the form of Caitlin Dever. Maybe just to see if there's any buzz for the upcoming season, and maybe people buy the games to to get a fascination with it. I don't know, but I imagine at some point that style of play is not going to bring in big returns for for PlayStation. I mean as much I mean I like I like stuff like Uncharted. I think that stuff is pretty good. Last of Us I like the uh, the first the first Last of Us is a great game, but I think it's overrated at the same time. Um, but will people appreciate another one? That to me is going to be the the biggest uh, question. So yeah, don't really have much else really to say um, as far as thinking of a couple things before I forget. Has anyone ever heard of the trailer for the new movie that comes out in February? Bob Marley, One Love. I saw. I saw a trailer for that a couple days ago when seeing The Beekeeper, and you ever have that feeling that there's something that may not interest you, you may not have heard of it, but then you see a trailer for it, and you think, you know what, maybe this is something I want to see, or maybe this is something I want to buy. That that might be the type of thing that I might want to think about, because, I mean, Reggae is probably one of the better known genres of music, and Bob Marley, probably one of the biggest names in music, and probably one of the more influential for his time. Curious to see how it fares, because it is produced in conjunction with with, with his family. I just think it'll... I would think this would fare better than, say, what they had with Whitney Houston a couple of years back. Because I feel like he had like a bigger influence in terms of music compared to Houston. That's at least how I see it. But definitely, you know, as always, we'll check the reviews. 
feel some love on Valentine's Day if you want to. <laughs> uh, so I'll end it here. Like I said before, this podcast is on podcasters.spotify.com. You can also find this on Radio Public and Google Podcasts. So head on down to those places, search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. So with that, that is episode 178. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe, stay protected, take care of yourself, take care, everyone.